guest is Derek Rose. Welcome, Derek. So glad you're with us and thank you for taking the time. I know how busy you are. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, great to great to see you. Derek Rose is a professional freelance investigative journalism, and he's an author, musician, speaker, and activist. Quite a remarkable person. I met Derek first at the third Greater Reset Conference in January of 2021 in Relia, Mexico, which Derek and John Bush were collaborating on producing, and we're going to be talking more about those conferences in a bit. And then I had the pleasure of participating in what I believe was your first online investigative journalism class. Is that correct? Yep. In, in the fall of 2022. So Derek's website is theconsciousresistance.com. And let's spell it out for those folks who may be listening to this as a podcast. Do you want to go ahead and spell that out for us, Derek, just so I make sure I've got it right? Sure. Yeah, it's the T-H-E. And this is important, conscious, not conscientious or conscience. I've noticed sometimes people spell that different. So the conscious, C-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S, resistance, resistance, R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E.com. Theconsciousresistance.com is my main website. Great. Thank you. That's so important because there's so much great information there. And um, I pulled a little, uh, I don't know whether it's a little, it's not a tagline, it's longer than tagline, but I'm going to share it from your website, which I thought was very concise and astute, gives an idea of what you do. And it says, consciously resisting is to engage in self-reflection and pursue knowledge of the self without knowing our own doubts, fears, hopes, dreams, insecurities, and strengths. We cannot truly know what freedom means to us as an individual. To become conscious and aware of one's actions is one of the most important steps towards claiming your own freedom. So that was like a radical statement for me. Um, people don't usually, when they start talking about resistance, they don't in the same sentence usually start talking about self-reflection and pursuing knowledge of the self. So would love to hear just a little bit of an introduction from you of what that means, like your overarching philosophy of conscious resistance. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you for sharing that description there. I, I like to tell people that when I first started to, I guess the term wake up is what we usually use. Uh, when I first started to question the world around me, I think as an adult, legitimately question the things that I'd been taught by parents, teachers, society, etc. I was about 2009, 2010, and for me, that experience was coming after uh, going to prison at a young age, 20 years old. I got addicted to drugs after dealing with depression, dealing with some trauma in my young life, all these kind of experiences. Once I got through prison and had the time to um, basically sit, I chose to use my time in prison being stuck there. I started meditating. I started praying. I started doing a lot of journaling and self-reflection and, and trying to understand, like, why was I using all these different drugs or what was I trying to avoid? What was I trying to get away from? What was I trying to heal from? And so I was kind of already on that journey while I was in prison when I got out and uh, I was, you know, when it was all said and done, it was October, 2008. I was now out back in Houston, Texas. I was a felon, but I was happy to be free. I was just free and no more paperwork and jumping through hoops and all kinds of stuff like that. It was, it was just like the nightmare was finally over. 
And uh, I, I grew a lot in that time period. And most of it, I would say, was due to being in solitude. And that was either in prison, being forced to be kind of alone and using that time to the best ability I could to do that healing or choosing to get into meditation and prayer and spend time alone in reflection once I got out. And I was just emerging into the world with this excitement and this thirst for knowledge and really feeling like just like I wanted to help the world. I wanted to learn more about it. And then again, with that kind of understanding or that realization that maybe I wasn't taught everything, everything I was taught probably wasn't correct, wasn't even accurate and uh, started to question just my fundamental beliefs. So it was kind of the combination of those two things, like going to prison, having this deep bottom where I needed to start questioning my whole life. And then through that, starting the healing process. And then after that, getting out and then getting into activism, kind of having this thirst for justice and wanting to uh, help the world in, in terms of exposing corruption as I was learning. And for the first couple of years, I had these two different lives where I went to the Houston Zen Center, because I was very much into Zen Buddhism at the time, and I was going to, I was organizing meditations, uh, just all kinds of things like that. Drum circles, that whole kind of spiritual conscious aspect of my life. And then I had this other part of my life, which was protests, rallies, marches, mm. um, activism of various sorts. And for the first couple of years, it seemed like the two different groups would never meet. And, and I just had this dual life, because when I would talk to my uh, spiritual conscious friends and I'd say hey you guys want to go to the protest or the rally or the march for this and that cause you know sometimes in the spiritual community in my experience it's a lot of like put your fingers in your ear put your head in the sand like no bad vibes don't talk about the bad things or you're going to manifest it so it was not a very welcoming um, attitude towards that side of, of my life and in the same vein I would go to my activist friends uh, political oriented friends and maybe invite them to a meditation or something in that area. And there was just a lot of disinterest. A lot of the activists I knew at that time were atheists. Um, nothing wrong with that per se, but that was just where they're coming from. Very logical, rational kind of people. And so, yeah, for the first couple of years, there was just this separation. And then in 2013, I had a, I don't know, another shift, if you will, the summer of 2013, I was just up watching videos all night. And just this phrase, the conscious resistance was kind of whispered in my ear and that's when I realized that I couldn't keep these things separate anymore, that for me, this was the same thing. You know, the, the struggle that I was going through to understand my healing journey and to heal my trauma and to heal intergenerational trauma in my family was the other side of the same coin to the struggle I was having in the physical realm of learning about all the corruption in government and learning about just conspiracies and all this kind of stuff. To me, I realized like this is the same thing. I cannot separate these anymore. And that was the year that I launched the Conscious Resistance website and eventually the book series and everything. So, you know, sorry to give a long-winded answer, but it, that's no, kind of, I think, great. embodies like what it means for me, you know? And I try to, through my books and talks, but also through my journalism, you know, not just come at journalism purely through just the strictly objective, uh, obviously reporting facts and sticking to the truth and stuff, but also my spirituality, my, you know, my lens as a human being is going to impact and affect the way I cover things. And so I don't shy away from that. I, I kind of make that a part of it. Yeah, I think that's why I've been drawn to your work so much, because it is an unusual combination. And, um, you know, I lived in an ashram for 13 years. So this whole the spiritual aspect of things, and I've been an activist for a long time. So finding a model for how those things come together, um 
is really beautiful. And I think it's so necessary right now. Some people say we are in a spiritual war and I happen to agree with that. So I was also really drawn to your motto on your website, which is leading by example and helping others in their pursuit of freedom. So you're definitely leading by example. And, and I look forward to getting into that a little bit more in this interview. So of course, can I just say something about yeah, that? Real quick? Yeah, yeah. I would say that even that, um, that phrase there is kind of like, I guess, my restating of just like the principles and the attitude of the bodhisattvas. Like that's definitely, there's probably an old video on my website. I don't even know if it's still up there because it probably was deleted by YouTube. But it was a video I did years ago called Bodhisattva Activism. And it was kind of talking about how that's like that idea of somebody who maybe puts off or delays their own enlightenment to for the desire of helping other people is very much kind of how I do approach my activism and journalism as well, where just that kind of mindset of how can I find things that matter, information, solutions, whether it's health, spiritual, just knowledge, and uh, use that for myself, but also share it with other people and kind of take you along on the journey. And, you know, just if I can inspire other people along the way, then, you know, that's definitely the goal, but it, it really does come from those principles. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, it seems like when one thinks about why we were put here, that maybe, maybe we were put here to implement some degree of spiritual awareness into the work that needs to be done in the world. And so seeing models of that, I think is important for people, not just what you choose to do with your life or, um, you know, how you're personally stepping out of the technocratic state, which is huge, that model, but also how you do that with uh, kindness and grace and compassion. So I, uh, I love that. It's great. Um, so you've also been the founder of the Freedom Cell Network and the Greater Reset Conferences, which happen once a year, and the next one's happening in January. So I'm hoping we can touch on that as well. But I'd like to dive right in about your book, How to Opt Out of the Technocratic State, um, which provides some history about how society got into the mess that it's in now, and how our thinkings and thinking and actions need to change in order for us to have a better life and a better world. So bottom line, what inspired you to write this book? So I started writing, well, first off, thank you to give me a chance to talk about the book. I, I do think it's uh, an important work and, and I'm glad to see that, you know, more people have resonated with it. Um, I started writing it in 2019. I think I got the idea first in 2018. A lot of my journalism over the years has focused on digital technology, digital rights, uh, tools like facial recognition, um, license plate readers, drones, you know, you name it. it. It's been something that I've kept up with both on a local level in Houston, but also more, more broadly just across the world, trying to keep up with this growth of the surveillance state. And it wasn't until 2019, though, that I kind of started to get the history of technocracy and that movement and kind of put that that piece of the puzzle in there and see it as not just a sort of disparate pieces of the surveillance state that it is true there's facial recognition there's cell phone um, wiretaps there's all kinds of ways that we're under surveillance and that was something i was very aware of but i hadn't quite understood that there's actually a philosophy behind the use of these technologies and and even more so the uh the use of this sort of trust the experts mentality that we've seen become very popular the last couple of years. 
So in 2019, as I was writing the book, I mean, I was seeing um, warnings from attorneys saying that uh, they were basically saying the United States should put a moratorium on facial recognition technology. They were warning back in 2017, 2018, 2019, that AI was moving pretty rapidly and that maybe there should be some kind of regulation. And, you know, my personal political beliefs, I really don't look to government regulation as the answer in a lot of a lot of areas, but I do think we're dealing with a particular situation here that is uh, unprecedented. And so I took those warnings serious. And as I was writing this book, it was one part kind of a warning to the future of saying, hey guys, this is what we're facing right now. This is what's already happening in China. This is what's already happening in India. This is what's already happening in parts of the world that have fully embraced this mindset and this technology, everything this uh, internet of things that we're kind of moving into now with 5g smart cities a lot of these things that more and more people are familiar with and 2019 when i was writing there was less people paying attention to these terms so i wanted to write a book that would give people that history uh, a little bit of awareness of where we're at as you said as well where we've come from and the philosophy of technocracy behind it as because i think it's the backbone of a lot of what we're seeing but most importantly besides being a kind of wake-up call, also being a call to action and trying to provide solutions based on my own experience as well as just people I've met and spoken with through the Freedom Cell Network and people around the world who are trying to build new systems in terms of new technology or new ways to grow our food or new ways to exchange you know, uh, monetary value, things like this. So the book is, is, is that, you know, it's warning to anybody who's paying attention, hopefully, because I originally published early 2020. We just recently published the second edition uh, this past year. And just in that short time of three years, the world has rapidly changed. And some of the things I was writing about in the first edition have come to pass uh, all, you know, much quicker than I imagined. And so I released a, this new edition with more information because I felt like not only did I want to kind of comment on, hey, here's what happened since the book came out, but more importantly, say, here's what we learned. Here's what I was seeing in Mexico when we were helping bring people down from other countries so that they could get to Mexico to avoid shots and quarantines and things like that, right? Here's what people were showing me they were doing in their local community to make sure they had access to good food and clean water and things like that during lockdowns. Just trying to crowdsource all that information that I gathered from people as I traveled in Mexico, traveled across the United States during the middle of lockdowns and, uh, and as well as my own thoughts and ideas. Yeah, there's, there's, uh, it's an interesting blend in the book because it's got case studies of various things. It's got history, um, philosophy, if you will. And then it's also got in certain parts, uh, kind of checklists of things you can do to get out of the technocratic state. So it runs overlap with, as you know, I've been wrestling this document to the ground, this checklist and blueprint for exiting the matrix and creating parallel society. And so there's, there's a lot of overlap in the thinking of that. But um, I realized I need to do a side by side and see what I missed in the checklist from what's in your book as I was preparing for this interview. I'm excited for yours as well. I think we need as many of these kind of uh, guides. And, you know, I think also the, the tact and the approach you're taking is, is probably going to be more valuable, maybe to some people than even um, than even the way I approached it, because like you said, I do have some checklists and, and some kind of to-do items, but it's not always like the way I can, like just the way my brain operates. 
So I tried to make it as hands-on as possible, but I think yours is going to be even more so because I have found that some people literally are looking for a line by line item of do this, then this, then this, then this. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the more tools available, my book, as well as what you're working on, I think is, is just going to be great for people who are thinking in these areas. Well, thank you. I, I look forward to continue to evolve these things and <clears throat> hear about other things people are doing. As you said, I think it's it's going to take a big village to get us out of the current situation. Um, so does the concept of parallel society match what you think we could collectively create if we opt out of the technocratic state? Or, you know, what would be the result of opting out of the technocratic state and what would we call it? Yeah, so those are great questions. I mean, in in the book and in my vision, I, I imagine that we're opting out of systems that we see as immoral uh, or antithetical to liberty, to privacy, to bodily autonomy, to a lot of the principles that I think people hearing this will hold dear to their hearts. Mm -hmm. Opting out of those systems which do not align with our values and then trying to create and or collaborate with others to create, to build, because obviously, again, this is not a single person or a one group. I think we're all going to, we're starting to see how these labels that have divided us in the past are becoming more and more useless and we need to just collaborate where we can. The idea being that we're creating new systems that would align with our values and would respect our principles and uh, bodily autonomy, privacy, liberty, et cetera, the things we care about. Um, so I do think that the goal, at least for me, is to create I don't want to say necessarily a parallel world because obviously we're existing here in the same physical space, but mm -hmm. perhaps the idea and the idea of Samuel Konkin, who is the founder of algorithm, which is where a lot of my work was inspired by, you know, he envisioned that as we are creating these pockets, these pockets of agoras are what I think are the freedom cells and these hubs of people around the world that are starting to trade together, starting to buy land together, starting to, you know, live outside of these mainstream systems and find ways to avoid things like CBDCs and all that kind of stuff that those pockets of people that are now happening all around the world, that we're kind of the seeds to whatever the next stage is going to be for this next parallel system or alternative system. And the way I like to explain it to people is that ideally the new young ones that are going to be born into this world that are not even here yet, that they might have the opportunity to come into a world where you have one path that is smart cities and uh, tracked and trace society, facial recognition and, all these things that we see ahead of us and maybe you don't get to drive and maybe you, there's no more personal individual property ownership and some of these things we've heard from the World Economic Forum. And then there's another path of people building communities of all types and growing their own food and trading amongst each other and freedom of religion and freedom of speech and all the things that we've believed our world was about. You know, that's kind of the way I see it. And of course, it's, it's much more simpler to say you know, one path or the other, obviously there's graves within there, right? There's, mm -hmm. but the idea being that people have a choice. And I don't, I think that if we see what's coming and we see the plans of folks who are working on, as I briefly touch on in my book, Agenda 2030 and the Great Reset mm -hmm. and some of these ideas, which we hadn't even heard about the Great Reset when I wrote the first edition, which is another reason why we wanted to kind of update it. Uh, if we see the visions of what they have, you know, for example, the phrase, you will own nothing and be happy is, is a part of that. If we choose not to act, personally, I believe on a spiritual level that we are failing our ancestors who worked so hard to get us to this point, no matter what skin color or background you come from, as well as those who are coming after us, who I believe are 100% depending on us to step up to the plate 
and to get organized and try to protect freedom and liberty and save this very young idea that humanity is just barely hanging on to at this point in our in our history. I mean, I, I feel like it's very it's that crucial that this idea could disappear as quick as it came into our you know our awareness. And obviously, liberty has been with human. Uh, I think humanity for a long time in our consciousness, but in terms of it actually being recognized in a lived experience, it's still not there. We're still not, we haven't gone far enough and already it could potentially slip away from our hands if we allow these people to have their way. So I think it's important for us to recognize that. And I don't see much hope in trying to take back the system by electing a new president or prime minister or um, violently overthrowing the government or something like that. I think the best strategy is just, again, like we said earlier, to lead by example. So mm -hmm. rather than me trying to say, let me force you to want freedom the way I want, um, or just put our people in power and we'll know what's better for everybody, we just say, let's just build the world that we want that actually does reflect our values and principles. And whoever wants to come along with us, let's co-create together. And of course, our goal is to inspire more people and bring more of our families and friends along with us. But humans learn by by you know what they see and so if we lead by example and we go build these communities whether that's in mexico united states or wherever people feel free to do so and have the ability to do so um i think that will be part of helping more people exit these systems as the systems the mainstream systems inevitably get more tyrannical less free as inflation increases and this is what Samuel Conkin predicted, is as the state gets more and more aggressive, people will naturally have a reaction to look for alternatives. But if there's no alternative, well, they'll just kind of accept it and suffer and, you know, until things get pretty bad. But if we, the people who can see what's coming, choose to build these parallel systems and alternative networks of trade and food and, you, you know, everything we can think of, then we might provide some path for those who are coming uh, after us. Yeah, I personally feel that it's all about the kids, the ones that are here and the ones that are coming. So that's that's what I'm dedicated to. I mean, it'd be nice to have a uh, to enjoy my stay here on planet Earth this time around, but um, my work is definitely dedicated to the the little ones and the not so little ones that are already here. So. Um, well, before we leave the topic of your book, um, how can people get a hold of your book? Yeah, so the book is available to download for free on my website. I mean, you can purchase it all usual places. I encourage anybody to purchase it anywhere else but Amazon. Uh, but on my website at theconsciousresistance.com slash howto, theconsciousresistance.com slash howto, there's a landing page there, and that'll link you to the a uh, couple of different places you can purchase the second edition in English. You can also purchase the second edition in Spanish. And uh, there's an there's an audio book available there for free as well. And it just recently got translated to German. We haven't released that one yet. And it's in the process of being translated to Japanese right now, too. So I'm excited about that. Um, but yeah, that's that's the main place. Theconsciousresistance.com slash how to. Great. And I'll put that uh, link also on the video so people can read it as well as hear it. So let's talk a bit about the Freedom Cell Network. You've mentioned it. That was something that you and John Bush created and can you give us a bit of a description about what that is and how people can find out more about it? Absolutely. So the Freedom Cell Network is, it's an idea, it's a movement, I guess you could say, of people around the world who are focused on what we just finished talking about, building parallel systems, building new systems, right? But 
in the process of doing that, obviously it's it's much easier said than done. Okay, let's build new systems, parallel systems to the current ones. Okay, well, where do we start? Well, we're gonna need a lot of people. Well, not all of us are blessed to live in, you know, areas where we have family and friends and tight networks, even whether you live in a small city or a big city, a lot of people feel very alone. They don't know anybody. They're not kind of plugged into any activist groups or maybe through their church or whatever other organizations they're a part of. They, they might not really know anybody. And part of the Freedom Cell Network is trying to solve that problem. And so we have our website, freedomcells.org. That's freedom as it sounds. And then cells, C-E-L-L-S.org, like the cells in your body. Like I like to explain people that each group, each cell or hub or hive or circle, the name is largely irrelevant. It's the idea behind it. But each group is, and each cell in your body is individual. It's powerful. It's unique on its own, but it's also part of the larger collective, which is you. And that's kind of how the Freedom Cell Network is, is we encourage people to create local hubs, circles, hives, cells in their in their area that come together and focus on a goal setting so getting together and say hey what are the what are the interests we have here well we're worried about inflation we're worried about um, having access to clean food let's sit around and brainstorm and discuss what steps can we take to you know build some group security in terms of food maybe we start one by one we go to the, you know, take some grocery trips together we start buying backup food together in case of an emergency or just whatever steps are necessary to start moving towards the goals that you're setting for yourself in terms of six months to a year and beyond and so the idea being that we're creating these groups everywhere, everywhere people, you know, people are and that they want to focus on this. You encourage people to create freedom cells. I've been promoting it since 2016. And uh, thanks to COVID and Bill Gates, they're our best friends in terms of recruitment. We saw massive growth from January 2020. We had about 2,000 people on the website and probably, I'd say 10,000 people broadly paying attention to through Telegram and email and stuff. But after covid started and great reset announcement you know there's now 40,000 plus people on the site tens of thousands more using uh, telegram and other apps to organize their freedom cells or their kind of freedom groups inspired by what we're doing and um, you know many more people just doing it who they don't put it on the internet they're just out there in their communities organizing and getting things done but the idea is again to build this local uh, decentralized network of people focused on solutions. And so, you, you know, the groups in Houston are going to be different from the groups in Denver and the groups from Denver are going to be different from Germany and Australia. And it really has grown to that, that point, you know, at this point, there's 20 plus freedom cells around Mexico, for example, we know that there's active groups in Australia, parts of the UK and parts of the U S obviously are very active Canada, and it's become a worldwide movement. The website itself is available in Spanish, German, Dutch, all of that translated by people within the network who just hmm. volunteered their time to do so. And so when people go to the website, they can search, they can create a free profile and say, this is what I'm interested in. These are the skills I have. This is the goals I'm interested in. And they can put their location on our map. We don't want your home address, but put an approximate location of the area you're in. And then that adds you to the map. And you can search our member maps and our cell maps and say, show me everyone within 10 miles or 50 miles or show me all the groups that have been formed within 10 miles and you can go through there and look at the list see what their descriptions about see if they're meeting you can look at people's profiles and oh this person's within 10 miles of me they sound like they're interested in homeschooling as well let's you know message them oh look they have a meetup i'm going to go to that next meetup the website and the telegram groups they're really just filters 
to the real action of the Freedom Cell Network, which is the in-person. And that's kind of why I explained it that earlier. It's like the Freedom Cell Network is this idea, it's this movement. There's the website, but the website's not the network. The network is the people in the real world doing things, hosting meetings, getting organized, growing food. And uh, again, we've had so many success stories or during, during COVID, whenever I traveled around the US during the activation tour, I heard from people who said when they were locked down and they didn't have anybody in their community, they used the website to uh, find like-minded people, for one, to just not feel alone. And they started gathering when they weren't supposed to. Uh, some people started homeschooling their kids together because they realized they had that in, in common. Other people started community gardens, started growing food so they didn't have to go to the grocery stores and deal with masks and all that stuff. And some people even bought land together. So the people who have taken the idea and the concept of organizing in a decentralized way on a local level, and as I discussed in my book, setting goals and you know just kind of just knocking those down as a group, building that group security so we're not all dependent on Derek or Melanie to get things done. Instead, we have this kind of group knowledge and power diffused among our numbers. And uh, and this, I think, are is the, the agoras or the seeds that Konkin was predicting. I think that we're at that point now where it's happening, where people are looking for ways out of the system. And right now, some of them are just nice social clubs and groups. But I do think as this evolves and, and as uh, food gets more involved, food production and more community gardens and urban farms, that we're going to get to a point where the Freedom Cell Network and the maps on our website can be used to trade goods and resources amongst each other um, in these parallel networks that we're trying to build. So mm-hmm. yeah, if anybody's looking for a community, freedomcells.org is one place to try to find it. That's great, thank you. And 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 I'm a case study actually, because a friend of mine knew about you before COVID and was following your work. And at a point when COVID happened, we were talking and he said, well, you need to check out Derek Bros's work and the Freedom Cell Network. And then it turned out that a, a Freedom Cell started in my city and I got connected through those people, but mainly got connected um, to the Greater Reset and to, to you and to John through the Freedom Cell Network that my friend knew about. So word of mouth and things spreading awesome. just organically. And that's leading myself and my partner to, you know, as you know, the Exit and Build land conference that that John and Rebecca Bush have done. And then we're connecting with communities through that. And it looks like we're moving to one of the communities that we connected to through that process. So um, so I'm kind of like the poster child for how the Freedom (laughs) Cell Network has helped my life. So thank you so much. You're very welcome. That's so great. And that's why we, I mean, that's why I do interviews promoting this. And I'll just mention one other thing about the Freedom Cell Network. If somebody hears this and they do go check the maps, and you don't find uh, anybody there and you don't have an, you know, the sort of uh, response that Melanie just described, I encourage you to start the Freedom Cell in your area because I guarantee you there are other people checking it and saying the same thing. Nobody's in my area yet. Oh, well. And then they leave. But we want to encourage you to plant that flag in your community. You know, even if you don't know what it's going to be yet, just start the whatever your town's name is, Freedom Cell or whatever you want to call it. doesn't matter. Create it on the website. If you use other apps like Telegram or Session or Signal, maybe create a group there too, and you can link the two of them there. And just wait. I guarantee you people will come behind you and they will reach out to you. And before you know it, you will start to make some connections. So just be patient with it. We've had some times where people have literally been posting on our website and organizing locally for years before the right combination of you know other motivated people came along and 
they really started to do some awesome things. But she was patiently, uh, in this one case, plugging away for years, organizing small meetings and just didn't give up. So, yeah, if you if you join and there's nobody there yet, go ahead and start the group. We nominate you and uh, see where that goes. Yeah. And you never know what the untapped need is, um, you know, in a in a related story. Um, I got connected to a whole other group of people through a group that was started by Christopher Hassel, which was called Santa Fe Unmasked. And it spawned a group in Albuquerque that my friend Karen LeRae started called Albuquerque Unmasked. Christopher had asked me to start one in Albuquerque, and I knew I didn't have the bandwidth for it and was moving around too much. So Karen's group now is like 800 people who have found sanity and information and networks like the Freedom Cell Network and, you know, all sorts of things through that group. And who would have known that there was such an untapped need in this area for information, which overlaps the Freedom Cell information. Not, um, they're not identical for sure, different bodies of information, but they definitely overlap. So awesome. you, never, you never know what you're going to find and who is going to find you when you start something. And uh, Karen's done great service for our local community as you and John have done for the world. So I really appreciate the leadership. So let's jump in for a few minutes to what the Greater Reset Conference is, and especially since the next one is coming right up. So what is it? Why did you start it? Um, What should people know about it? Sure. So the the Greater Reset was it will is an initiative of the Freedom Cell Network. So uh, we've mentioned John. John Bush is a friend of mine based here in Texas as well. He's a couple hours away in Austin. And John and I were talking in the summer of 2020. So obviously COVID lockdowns start in the spring. By June 2020, the World Economic Forum puts out a video and makes an announcement of something they're calling the Great Reset. And that, I think, literally sent shockwaves through the freedom, health freedom kind of truth communities of people just terrified of what was about to happen and knowing like, oh my God, vaccinations are coming soon and lockdowns are happening and all the insanity we witnessed. And for us, it felt like the fear was palpable. Like we were looking in the different chat groups and in Telegram and social media, and there was just so much fear, even from our particular kind of subset of the community, which we always try to stay very solutions focused. And it just felt like we need to do something. We can't just watch this you know this plan unfold that they're doing and as we try to typically do is like how can we counter them how can we offer an alternative to what they're doing right it's not like let's go storm the davos meeting and take down schwab let's just give people something else to watch let's just give something better you know for our community to pay attention to because instead what happens i've noticed especially in my role as a journalist it's like you got to kind of keep one eye on them because sometimes there's relevant stuff but then you also want to tell people ignore them. Let's do our own thing. And I notice that often when there's World Economic Forum meetings, people will just obsess over it for a week. And there's all these clips of here's what Klaus Schwab said and this and that. And again, there's a place for that. But what if we just tune them out and we talked about what we're going to do for five days from our bottom up community grassroots perspective? And that was kind of the the original idea is like, let's get together five days. We knew that the World Economic Forum was planning to meet January 2021 and announce the full unveiling of their Great Reset Plan. And so we said, look, let's let's host an event. And it was actually two events because John was in Texas and I was down in Mexico. And the first four events we've had simultaneously broadcasted from two different countries, so two locations at once, one in Mexico, one in Texas, and then streamed online for free 
to people all around the world. And the first one we did in uh, Zihuatanejo, Mexico, and John was in the Austin area. And in the middle of the lockdowns and everything, we had 100 people show up at, to both places. And that was kind of just like, wow, that's cool. People actually showed up. And more importantly, people who were locked down tuned in from all around the world. We had, I think, 100,000 people throughout the first week of the first Greater Reset. And we had so many powerful speakers from Charles Eisenstein and Foster Gamble and uh, uh, Rosa Corey, which was actually her last speech before mm -hmm. she passed away shortly after that. This is all available for free on the Greater Reset Odyssey channel that you can find on thegreaterreset.org. And, uh, you know, we knew we tapped into something special because the event went great. It was a great success and people responded very authentically to it. So we knew we wanted to continue doing it. And so we've done four events now. We've now gotten the rhythm of doing it every January, which, again, is sort of we don't necessarily aim to do it on the exact same days, but around the same time as the Davos conference we meet. And this January 2024, we're doing one single event in Morelia, Mexico. So John and his uh, wife and some of their crew are going to be coming down to Mexico. And we'll have all the in-person speakers in Mexico. We'll have a few virtual speakers, but this year it's 98% in-person, which is really great. We made some exceptions for the great James Corbett and Catherine Austin Fitz. They can't come in person, but they're going to do some virtual presentations. Mm -hmm. um, but everybody else will be in person, including yourself, which I'm really excited about, and okay. to have you on there. And it's five days, um, mental, physical, spiritual health, permaculture and food independence, building parallel networks, taking back our tech, getting off big tech, and community building, building conscious and free communities. And that's everything from organizing tips and tools to homesteading advice and you know we're just it, we're, we're still announcing the speakers we've just started to announce them uh, on the website and through our social media and i will mention the tickets are going to go on sale the early bird price of just 150 us dollars uh starting on november 11th so if you go to the greater reset and just sign up for our email list you'll get all the all the details you need and uh yeah we hope that you can come down and if not again it's streamed for free online host a watch party with your freedom cell, or your freedom group in your area. I mean, I think it's really a good time to bring people together because there's not a single talk on our bill that is going to be focused on the problems. It is all solutions focused. And we do that on purpose because we all know the problems by now, hopefully, and are ready to do something about it. So you could choose the day that works best for your community. Maybe, you know, permaculture and food independence is most relevant to your community and you guys get together and pick a venue and invite the friends and family promote it in your neighborhood and listen to the presentations and have discussions and see how they apply to your community and what steps you can take you know our, our hope is that when we gather again in a couple months we hear from everybody who was here last year and they have stories to tell about how their lives have changed and how they've been moving forward in these goals and and that's the cool thing is we actually are hearing that we're we're, we're hearing in real time that the Freedom Cell Network and the Greater Reset is giving people the motivation and the inspiration they need to take those steps to, you know, make big changes. And, and that's that's just an amazing feeling that I'm, I'm blessed to be a part of. Yeah, it's very inspiring. I will um, testify to that. And it's not just about the information that you receive. You have an amazing opportunity to network with like-minded people from all over the place. And those people are very inspiring and it fosters the building of relationships and, um, you know, kind of breaking you outside your bubble of what you think is possible because there are people doing incredible things, just really smart, savvy, 
wonderful people doing amazing things actually all over the world, which you and John have curated these presentations and these relationships. And so, uh, you know, I personally went to the, the first one I went to was in Morelia two years ago and I loved being in Morelia. So take the opportunity and go. It's a, it's a lovely city, very fun to visit. And then last year I went in Austin and that was also a great opportunity. And you guys have done the tech masterfully of smoothly going back and forth from place to place. I think your experience doing this several years in a row now has you've gotten better. In the two times I've been, I'm sure it's going to be an order of magnitude better even this time. So I'm oh, really yes. excited. So I'm excited to, to welcome you back and to have you as a speaker because this and I would second uh, and third anybody who's thinking about it to come because uh, it's it, it's a life changing experience. I know for us to be involved in the organization, but when we get to step back and just see all that magic happening, not only on stage and the great presenters, as you said, that knowledge sharing, but the community around it is really what's so special to us. And uh, particularly just the decentralized nature of workshops and things that we have. And, and for this to be our fifth event, and we're doing one event this time, it's going to not only reduce any potential tech headaches that might come with streaming across two countries, but we're, we're expecting the best one yet in terms of attendance and presentations and speakers and uh, just community overall. So I really would invite everybody to come out if you can make it down to Mexico. You'll have a great time and meet. Uh, I think this year we counted 350 plus people from 15 countries. So wow. we're all gathered in Mexico and we had 20 countries tuned in through the live stream. Yeah, that's great. And it's such a reasonable offering too. I mean, the fact that you make this available for free to people online, it kind of blew my socks right off and really showed me how much you and John are dedicated to change. Um, and the fact that the early bird price is only $150. I mean, that's like crazy for a five day event. So uh, thank you. And it's a lot of fun. There are a lot of, there are fun events too, music, dancing. I had a really good time at both events. So let's just, um, restate what the website is for the greater reset is it the greater reset.org with a the yep. Okay. yep the greater reset.org is the website there and as i said the email list you'll see it's right there just sign up for the email list and we're now kind of at the point where we're working on it daily so you'll be getting weekly updates on our speakers you can see the speakers we've announced so far on the website and there's a blog there where we're posting all the relevant details as we get them awesome thank you so I know we're kind of on in time, but I wanted to jump into one more topic, if you don't mind, before we wrap. Do you have the time, Derek, for another sure. like five minutes? Okay, great. So, and this really kind of goes back full circle to the beginning of this discussion, where I said that the um, your focus on self-reflection and personal growth and spiritual growth as a foundation for creating change in the world is, uh, really striking to me. And so, and, and you, you, you started at the beginning of this by talking about your experience as a youth and you've shared freely about drug use and prison time when you were younger and then that you changed your life dramatically after that. And some of that was based on the, on the reflection that you had while you were in prison and the spiritual growth that you had. So, most people have some degree of trauma in their past and many people struggle with addiction. I've heard this planet called a trauma planet. Um, to what extent do you think your beliefs as a young person about life, people and yourself contributed to those 
earlier struggles and to what extent did trauma contribute to forming those beliefs? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I would say trauma 100% influenced my various beliefs that I held as a as a youth, even things that I didn't necessarily consciously think out like, oh, I feel this way about this thing. But as you know, especially when I got locked up and of course with hindsight, I could kind of see, oh yeah, I was dealing with this thing and I was acting this way. And I could very clearly see how my, um, well, just for one, like my inability to trust people when I was younger or to suspect that every person was going to, um, you know, do me harm or do me wrong was directly learned from my father coming in and out of my life at a young age and writing letters from prison, promising to be there. You know, I remember getting these letters at five, six, seven years old, mm. you know, crying every time. And then he'd, he'd get out and we might see him once or twice. And then, you know, one day my mom would come home and tell us like, well, he's, he's back in jail again. And, mm. you know, having those cycles and to the point until my mom was just like, all right, I'm not telling you guys anymore. You know, she just kind of got sick of being in that role. But I definitely could see as I got older how that those experiences kind of I ingrained a mistrust of pretty much everybody mm -hmm. and just an assumption that people lie, people say whatever they want and just little things like that, that then started to become some of my own worst behaviors, especially when I was using drugs. And so, yeah, definitely I can I was able to see with the, the, the benefit of the gift of uh, solitude and silence, uh, which is what I chose to do with most of my prison stay, uh, I could, you know, I could really start to peel back those layers and see like, wow, like I've been feeling this way because he, you know, and it was at a point where it was actually, I wrote him while I was in prison because he got out the week I went in, which is also a really like, uh, I felt so stupid about that. I've been angry at him my whole life, you know, and I was like, oh, you know, that was the, the thing. I remember clearly thinking I'm repeating the family tradition if I continue this because my family on both sides is a history of uh, drug and alcohol abuse and prison going back a couple of generations. And so I felt really you know, bad about that, but I wrote him and I told him as I was starting to heal it, like how I felt about it. Um, and I didn't get the answer I was hoping or looking for. And, and it kind of, you know, it, the healing would come later, but it was the beginning of me starting to really untangle all that mess, you know, and take some personal responsibility too, because in the beginning it was like, I was untangling it and it was like, Oh, it's his fault. That's, that's why I'm this way, you know? And then of course it was realizing like, okay, well that may be true to some extent I felt or was hurt this way because of actions he took, but I have to take responsibility from, for who I am and what I'm doing now and just that whole healing process. But yeah, definitely the trauma played a role in, in kind of internalizing various lessons that then impacted me growing up. Yeah, so I, I worked in the trauma field for a little over a decade. And so I've, I've seen a lot about, um, w we all experience some kind of trauma at some point, And it does help. I mean, in, in my view, it does form our beliefs. And the, the tricky thing is, it's that I'm always saying this, that saying that Einstein says that you, you can't fix a problem with the same consciousness that created it. And so it's an inside job, like we have to change our own consciousness in order to be able to see the possibility of a new life for ourselves and for other people and for the world. So that that goes with addressing our trauma and looking at what our beliefs are about ourselves and other people and about the world. And so it's amazing that you did so much of that on your on on your own. Um, 
you know, what, what role do you think that for most people changing our beliefs or looking at our beliefs in order to be able to create happy personal lives and as a collective to create a happy parallel society or parallel networks or whatever we're calling that, you know, what, what would you like people to take away from what you'd like to see everybody doing in terms of looking at their beliefs or examining? Sure. It's kind of a big question, I know. No, I mean, I think that you kind of touched on it there, just examining our underlying beliefs and, you know, being willing to question ourselves. Um, I And I write about this in the Conscious Resistance Trilogy that I, the solitude for me was such a huge gift. It was the going to prison and then another time after I got out, I went on a bike tour and I spent months on the road by myself. And in those experiences, I learned so much about myself. One was voluntary, one was not voluntary. But both times it was that solitude and just making time to be with yourself for a little bit, which is very difficult in our um, fast paced world, or at least it can be. We, we allow ourselves to be swept up in it. So, I mean, even if it's just spending five, 10 minutes alone at night or journaling throughout the day or at the end of the day or making that regular time to just tune into yourself, I think that can go a long way. It's as simple and as trite as that sounds, like if each of us did spend more time on ourselves, then I do think it would help the planet. I, di I did a video a decade ago called For the Good of Everyone, Focus on Yourself. And, mm. you know, that's kind of, I think, part of it, right? Like, not to the degree of being, um, like, in you know, enabled, incapable of having empathy and compassion for other people. But, yes, we do need to take care of home base. We do need to take care of ourselves, and we do need to work on our healing. And in that process, we help each other. And being able to be there with each other, for each other, too, because – I've just realized more and more as I've gotten older, like we never know what other people are dealing with, what other people are going through in their day-to-day -day struggles and how close they are to the edge or how, you know, just whatever they may be dealing with. And it doesn't cost us anything to really try to be supportive and uh, listen to somebody despite all the, the differences we may have and um, all those kind of things. Like at the end of the day, I do think for me, even though I know there's a large swath of the population that might not agree with the things that we're talking about today or the, the desires we have, that ultimately we're working for them as well. And if we truly hope to embody that, then we need to recognize that not everybody is going to be on the same page, but that doesn't mean we can't still treat them like a human being deserving of respect. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, a tool that I've used portions of is your holistic self-assessment which I believe is, well, why don't you say a word about um, where that is and how people can use it? Sure, thank you, I appreciate that. Yeah, the holistic self-assessment uh, is also on theconsciousresistance.com under the books tab. I believe we have that available to download for free. You can purchase it, of course. And that was actually a, a short little handbook. It's definitely meant to be more of specifically like a guidebook slash you know, something you can write in and jot your, your thoughts down in that I developed based on these experiences I'm talking about in prison, you know, just really trying to work through um, different parts of myself and, and different exercises that either I picked up from other places or just came to me naturally and kind of made my own. Uh, it, it's something to get started with, I think. I think it's something to use. And it's I tried to make it as concise and simple as possible and as uh, least fluffy as possible, if that makes sense. And just kind of whittle down like the best pieces of the information that I think is necessary to get the concepts across, but also to be useful and helping people essentially just get to know yourself better and get more in line with the values and principles and goals you have. Great, thank you. And 
um, you know, we've taken a lot of your time. I want to direct people back to your book, How to Opt Out of the Technocratic State. Um, again, coming back full circle to the beginning, that Derek talks quite a bit in the book about how he personally has opted out of the technocratic state financially in terms of privacy and information security and censorship in working towards creating an intentional community and in terms of transportation and a variety of other ways that he has chosen. And it's not been easy um, to opt out of the technocratic state. So that's inspiring. It's a great case study example. And I think it would be best if you check it out and read it in his own words. And then Derek, want to throw it back to you for a wrap up. Anything else you'd like to share or bring to conclusion with the items we've talked about in this interview? Uh, well, thank you so much for, for wanting to talk to me and share with you, uh, your growing audience. I'm excited to see where you take your work and just to be a part of your journey as well. It really does mean a lot. And I don't know if we've already mentioned it, but I think for me, what's very cool about this is to have somebody I get to collaborate with through my journalism course and now see you take, uh, you know, take on your own path here. It's, there's been a couple of people who took that course who are now doing really exciting things that I'm, I'm, I'm happy to share more with and uh, just see where it goes. Cause we need more people asking questions, promoting truth and looking for solutions. So thank you for being a part of that. Welcome. And thank you for offering the course. It was really great. And if you, if anybody has an opportunity to take Derek's course, I felt like I was quite fortunate that we were the first audience, maybe the guinea pig audience, and <laughs> you did a great job. It was wonderful material and I learned a lot. So um, thank you. Yeah. So thanks so much, Derek. I know I'll be seeing you again soon, if not before then in January and we'll be in touch. Thank All you right. So thank you so much today. Appreciate it. See you in Mexico.